Come on Wednesday nights. We uh, we're growing on Wednesday nights, and um, this past Wednesday night, I really felt like we really encountered God. Uh, been talking on surrender, and just really felt like we had a great time in worship. And uh, you know, since we've made some changes and not having PM services on Sunday nights, come on Wednesday nights. Love to see you here and love to see you plug your kids in. We've got youth for the 7th grade and up. We've got uh, Bible drills for the 6th grade down to 1st grade. And then we've got programs for the younger kids. But good quality stuff happening for all ages on... uh... Was that the balcony? sounded like thunder. On uh, Wednesday nights. So we'd like to... Normally I don't hear it, but I don't know. Anyway, uh, we've been talking about change. Let me tell you, there's going to be a shaking. Did you know that? Everything's going to get shaken. Some things aren't going to be affected. Our worldly system, our government, our lives, our the things that we're walking through where we work, except where I work, is going to shake. <laughs> God's kingdom's not going to shake. You know, we hear rumblings and we, 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 uh, there's a lot of change going on, whether it's in the church or whether it's in our community. Has anybody ever noticed, I don't know if any of you work retail or uh, work for the public, anybody ever noticed what kind of change happens when the fair is here? It's bizarre. Uh, It's just... I'm not saying the people at the fair are bizarre. That's for a whole other sermon. But uh, just what happens to our economy. You know, even in small business and in stuff that uh, that seems like a regular necessity. You know, I'm a, I've been a part of uh, dry cleaners and oil change and that sort of thing. And you wouldn't think that that would be affected. But people go to the fair and spend their money there. And local businesses hurt. I don't know if you felt a change this week. You know what? We always notice it when I used to work there at the at the car wash. Man, this is fair week. It's going to be a little slower. I was eating at a restaurant down on Restaurant Road, and there was nobody there in one of the most popular restaurants. It's fair week. You know, things come and things change. Did you know you need to change? Amen. You need to change. Changes are coming. Jesus is coming. Let me tell you. Things are going to change when Jesus comes. And we have been, we are required to change before he comes. God's trying to prepare his bride. That's preparing the church. That means, preparation means you got to get ready for something. 
you know, new businesses are starting up. You've got maybe new projects starting up, and sometimes you've got to change the way you think. All you've got to do is just blink your eyes and computer technology changes. If you work in that market at all, you better be willing to change because it's going to change whether you do or not. But if you ever ask yourself this, and I asked you last week, why do you come to church? You need to know why you come to church. Do you come because you've got friends here? Do you come because you've got family here? Do you come because you've just always gone? It's just kind of tradition. My parents always made me go, so I go. That's one of my reasons. Used to be, I come because I love the Lord and because I got a job. Now, it's my job. But before I had a job here, I came because, well, I'd have to start. I started early coming only because my parents made me go. You know what? I didn't like it at the time, but it was something placed in me. You know, we, think, we learn by repetition. And you may have kids that you've made go to church their whole life, then they get out of co- get, get into college and they stop going. It's okay. It's in there. They're going to be waking up on Sunday mornings thinking, something doesn't feel right. Have you ever missed church and you just think, this is just not right? That's good. That's a good feeling. Maybe you come to church because we got free coffee. Don't everybody run out of here. We got free coffee back there. With all the mix-ins and everything you could want, hopefully. Got hot cocoa back there, too, if you like that. Maybe you come for the free coffee. Or maybe you just come because you're afraid someday time's going to end and you're going to be standing at the pearly gates and hope God recognizes you. Come to church enough just so that God recognizes you. It may sound silly, but a lot of people come for that reason. I believe the reason that most of us come is because we have needs. We have the need to be different. We have the need to grow. We have a need. We, we need help. America needs help. That's one thing that we all have in common is that we need to change. And maybe you'd say, I don't need to change. We talked last week about things maybe you could change. Maybe you're not patient enough with your kids. Maybe you're... Your worry thoughts, your thoughts about worry and the circumstances that you have in your life, you'd like to maybe change the way you approach those. Maybe it's taking every thought captive. Maybe there are things going on in here that, uh, that concern you that you'd like to change. I can tell you, I have a lot of things that need to change. And it's a need thing. We need to change. And over the last few months, we've been looking at names of God. And I've been telling you, there is a name of God for every need that you have. God is a need meter. You've come in here needing a, having a need that needs to be met. We've come to the right place because God is a need meter. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord your provider. He is Jehovah Rophi, the Lord your healer. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord your peace, and right on down the line. But today we've been looking at Jehovah Mekadesh. I am the God who sanctifies you. Sanctified, we saw last week, means to set apart, to be taken from where you are and moved somewhere, or to be changed. God is the God who changes you. You know what's good about God is He knows just how to change you. He is your creator. And you know the creator ought to know something about what you need. Amen? So when God wants to change you up a little bit, we need to say, yes, God. And last week we saw God doesn't just want to change the things on the outside. He wants to change your character. He wants to change who you really are. 
not who you're acting like. Now, many of us play a game, but he wants to change genuinely who you are. We're going to start looking this morning at five things to just think about. Five things to kind of help you to cooperate with this process. Last week, we talked about a couple misconceptions that we think in order to change, either God has to do it all or I have to do it all. And both of them's wrong. God has a part to play. You have a part to play. God has given you a free will. You can be you can be saved. You can be baptized in the Holy Ghost. You can know Scripture from front to back. But you can get out of here and not even get down the road and sin. You have choices that you have to make. And those choices are, are we going to cooperate with God's plan or not? Right? Are we in a battle with our flesh? Yes. Does everybody have it all together and not make a single mistake with your thoughts or anything in their life? If you say yes, uh, look out. We don't have it all together. But we have a choice. You know, Joe McGee had always preached it, and I kind of used it a little, put a little spin on it. If you will do the natural, God will do the supernatural. God has made every provision for you, but you've got to go get it. You know, if God delivered you out of depression, maybe you're battling depression, or maybe you battled depression in, in your youth or in a few years ago. You know, you still have to get out of bed. If you don't get out of bed, God's not going to pull you out of bed. You've got to get up. You've got to make a choice to get out of bed and walk on. You know, sometimes just getting out of bed is a step in faith. God, I don't want to get out of bed, but I'm going to get out. My place is not in this bed. My place is not down in this hole. I'm going to step up and I'm going to start walking towards you. What is that a picture of? That's a picture of the prodigal son. I am no longer staying in this pig pen. It'll be better off just serving my dad, being a servant for my daddy, than to stay here. He could have stayed there, even though all the provision had been made for him, even though he didn't know it, but this, his daddy was going to receive him back, give him everything back that was all waiting for him. He had to make a decision. He says, I will go to my father. But you know what? That's not enough. He said it. Then he had to get up. So, God has made these provisions for you. Now it's time to get up. It's time to do our part. And what happens when we do our part? There's the father waiting for you. Somebody go kill the cow. And somebody go get a robe and go get a ring. And bring the musicians. And let's throw a party. But he had to get up. We have a part to play. It's not all God, and it's not all us. We don't have to clean ourselves up and do everything perfectly. We've got to have God. It takes God to fight sin. It takes the blood of Jesus to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We can't do that. He does that. So it takes both. We can't walk through this life and just wait for God to do everything for us. We, we've got to know God and position ourselves and do some of the doing ourselves. It's good if I can just get it out right. Five things to think about. Action steps, ideas, ways that we might cooperate with God changing us. Number one, recognize that your spiritual life is a journey. It's a journey. 
Um, Brandon Gross once taught at Concept. Uh, my wife had gone up to kind of uh, the first week that my oldest daughter went, and she just thought she'd go and try to check it out. Brandon Gross and Lindsay, um, they're big lake-going people, and uh, they, it, Brandon had a canoe or a kayak or something, and would, at the end of the day, he'd run down there and jump in his, and I'm probably messing this up, but I'm the one getting to tell it, so he can clarify it at some point. But he would get in his kayak and, and go about 30 minutes away to this little cove that he just loved, that he felt the Lord's presence, just, it was quiet, just ne- full of nature and, you know, just a, a serene environment. But what he started to notice is when he was going and trying to rush to get there so fast that the Lord finally said, slow down, enjoy the trip, enjoy the journey. The end, there, is, there is something to gain from here to there. You've got something to receive from the time you start until the time you arrive. Yet we just go so fast and so fast and so fast and want to get to this point and we blink our eyes and our kids are grown. And we're not able to see God moving in their lives or in our lives or in just the small things in relationship. You know, I've spent the whole weekend digging a ditch in our backyard and, you know, it's, it's been good, but it's also allowed me to be home and spend some time with Elizabeth. And I said, honey, we've kind of been together. She said, yeah, but we've not really talked all that much. But to me, just being with you has uh, meant something to me. It's not that I, I want to hurry up and get this dig this ditch dug but you know I I need to slow down and spend time with the people that I'm supposed to spend time with while I'm going are you with me this is a journey enjoy the journey it's not an event it is a process it's not an overnight sensation Philippians 1 6 says I'm sure that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back again. Now, I'm going to try something. I've not done it since in four years. Pastor Matt used to come down on the floor. And he'd sit right beside you and get right in your face. And I've just said I'll never do it. Because he'd make me so nervous. He'd put his arms around me and get... I mean, I don't know that y'all ever knew him that well. But he'd get right here in my face. He even kissed Pastor Zach one Sunday morning. And he would spit on you. But I'm going to try this. It's very uncomfortable. I didn't do it first service. I already don't like it. I'm going to go back up. I'll try it again next week. Maybe I'll do it again. God's trying to change me. We'll try it again. (laughs) Help me, Lord. (laughs) I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. Okay. The focus of this scripture right here is began. This is salvation. I'm sure that God who began, God has begun a work in you. That is not an ending, that's a beginning. The time of salvation is not the end. Many Christians come to the altar and think, well, I got it all together now. We'll just live the rest of our life and my name's not blotted out in the Lamb's Book of Life. So God's preparing a place for me. I've got it all together. Okay, God good i'm done with you now let me get back to living my life no look what it says i'm sure that god who began the good work within you will continue what is that that is sanctification that is the process of changing you will continue his work 
He began a work in you, and He will continue His work. Continue what work? His work in you. We are not done yet. To think that we have arrived is a terrible mistake. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I haven't arrived. He even said, I know what's right to do. And I want to do what's right. But I just can't do it. And we're so hard on ourselves. The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I know what's right. And I want to do what's right. I just can't do it. You know what? Have a little bit of a... Let me encourage you just a minute. God's not looking for perfect people. He knows you're not perfect. He sent the one perfect one to stand in our place for us. He knows you're going to mess up. All he's asking is, is you give him your heart. That you give him your life. That you attempt to move toward him. And he comes the rest of the way. And I don't care if you're a Christian for five minutes or for 50 years. When you make that one step toward him, he comes. But he's waiting for you. He's given you a free will. The blood of Jesus has given you the power over sin. You can do it. And the great thing is, is when you step out, like Peter stepped out of the boat, he did fine for a moment. And then he doubted. And he started to sink. What did Jesus do? He rescued him. Come on. I got you. It's okay. Continue. Have you ever been on a road trip with your kids? You know, have you ever have you ever noticed how excited everybody gets when it's packing time? Everybody's excited, but mama, because she's having to pack everybody. But how excited everybody is. Oh, I need to get this. Have you ever noticed that they want to take every toy they've got? Stuff they've never played with in years. Ooh, I want to take that. No, you're not taking that. Why? Because we don't have room in the car. You're not taking that. But I've noticed that even we get so excited that Elizabeth and I in the past have gotten in some pretty knockdown, drag-out fights before we can get going. I don't know what happens in vacation, but everybody's kind of on edge. Kids are all fired up. Everybody's screaming. Even the dog knows you're leaving. Anybody that's got a dog knows, the dog knows when you're about to leave. When they see the suitcases come out, it's like you're going to give them a bath. If you ever say the word bath, they take off. They know what's going on. But a dog gets depressed when they see the suitcases come out. But you know what, we, when we're going to Florida, you know, we hit Sparta. We can't even get to Sparta before somebody says... And it's just, I, I've said to Elizabeth, I wonder how long it'll be this time. Usually Sparta. Are we there yet? <laughs> and I'll usually do this. Say, everybody take your headphones off. Everybody look at me. Everybody looking at me and listening to me. Put down your DSs. Put down your games. Don't anybody say that again this whole trip. <laughs> okay, Daddy. Okay. So, five minutes later, and you know what? They're smart. They don't ask me that question, but they say, how many more minutes? How many more minutes? 
And you know, that is, a, that is a question, that is a sign of immaturity. The reason many of us, many of you, uh, I have done the same thing, that we walk away, that we turn our backs on God or turn our backs on the, on the church is because of spiritual immaturity. We say, are we there yet? Come on, God, I'm changing the way I should. You must not work. And they just take off. You know, we come in here. And we make it one day. We come here in here on Sunday, we make a change. And we make it through, if, if by a miracle, you make it through the whole day. You know, if you, ever, if you ever tried dieting or you ever tried exercising, you know, getting through that first day is something. But getting through the second day is even more. You get through the first day and you think, ah, that wasn't for me. Same thing with God. We make it through one day and we don't see any results. And we think, it's not worth it. I'll just go back to what I was doing. Are we there yet? And we abandon the one who's going to help us. But God thinks highly of perseverance and endurance. Perseverance and endurance. You know, we live in a, uh, a lifestyle of instant gratification. We want our stuff right now. Think about the way you react to vending machines. Come out, come out, won't come out. Or it gets stuck. You know, it's hanging right there on the edge. Have y'all seen that BizHub commercial where the guy's losing it over the copier? He's sitting there screaming at it. And, and the rest of the workers all love it because they love to watch him, you know, throw a big fit. Well, finally, they get a Minolta, BizHub, whatever, and it removes all the problems. And they're, they're disappointed because they have no entertainment throughout the day to watch this guy. But then he moves on to the vending machine. And you see him... You know, what's good about a vending machine is you can take all your frustrations on out with, on it without losing your job. Sit there and yell at it. But we want it right now. How many times do you push the button on the elevator? And you know, I'm sure the elevator has a way of thinking, hey, he's hit it 25 times, I better hurry up and get down there. Or how many times have you been inside the elevator pushing closed doors so nobody else gets in there with you? <laughs> and you know somebody's wanting on. That's real, uh, that's real Christian. <laughs> the reason we have such a problem changing is because we don't understand God's economy of time. It's different than ours. God's not in a hurry to change you. He's got his timetable. He knows his part. He's going to do his part. Our part is cooperating with him. We're trying to get him to cooperate with us. But we are to cooperate with him. Are we there yet, God? The good news of this journey is, no, we're not there yet. You are a work in progress. God is not done with you. And if you're married, there's even better news. Some of you look around and think, man, if this is as good as my marriage is going to get, I'm in trouble. Well, you know what? It's not. It is going to improve. We are changing all the time. I got down here with another set of notes, and I have, I don't have them. Yeah, that's handy, isn't it? 
Thank you. Y'all haven't noticed my head spinning this morning from for everything that's going on, having to kind of wear a couple hats. But at first service, I kind of went down some other uh, avenues and made some notes from it. But um, anyway, <sighs> marriage, this is not as good as it gets. I had somebody at Express Lube come to me years ago. And it was funny. I, I probably did, I don't know, not as much, but I did a lot of counseling as a business owner. Um, and I had a, a, a gentleman come to me and say, Paul, my marriage is falling apart. And I don't know what to do. My kids won't have anything to do with me. My wife won't have anything to do with me. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? What, what do you do? What, well, how does your day go? He goes, well, I work all day. Then I go home and get cleaned up. And then I go out with my friends every night. He said, I don't want to go home because my wife just yells at me the whole time. I said, well, I can understand. I can understand why she's yelling. You know, she's needing help. I said, I want you to try this. I said, I know you love your friends. Um, but I want you just to go home and stay home. Just stay home. I know it's probably not what you want to do. But if you want a marriage to work, you're going to have to be with her. Go home and stay home. And realize she's probably still going to yell at you because she can't see the change yet. But just go home. I'm going to be praying for you. It is going to be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. You know, stepping out of it and looking at it from my perspective versus his, I can see what potential there is there. But he can't see it at all. All he can see is how difficult it is. And I'm like, just go and stay home. And then let's talk about it tomorrow. Just make it one day. Don't open your mouth. You be a blessing to her. Keep your mouth shut if you have something bad to say. Just make it through one day, and then we'll start on the next day. Never could do it. You know, with, with my wife, uh, Elizabeth used to ask me to bathe our kids, and I've told you the story before. And her dad bathed the kids, and I said, I'm not going to be your dad. I don't want to bathe the kids. My dad didn't bathe me. I'm not going to bathe my kids. No, I'm just going to just be rebellious. No, I don't, I'm not going to do it. I'm not. You didn't marry your dad. You married me. So... She accepted it. She's bigger than, she's a bigger person. She's a, how do I say that without it not sounding? She's a better, she's a better person than me. Um, at eight months pregnant with Pete, here she is trying to, with eight months pregnant with Pete. She was trying to carry Rita Marie up the stairs to go bathe her and couldn't do it. She was... She was fully in bloom. Uh, um, and I just sn snarled. She didn't ask me again. I said, okay, I'll do it. But I'm not going to like it. I had the complete worst attitude you could have. I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to become her dad. I'll just, uh, she'll wish she'd never asked me to do this. But I'll do it wound up becoming one of the greatest blessings for me. Not only did it, it, it helped me and Elizabeth, but it helped me and my kids. It just helped. It, it allowed me to be a part of their life in a way that I wasn't getting to be a part. And every, every time one of my kids hits six or seven years old and they're old enough, it's a, die, it's a part that has to die in, my, in me because they move on. Change happens. And now Sarah Bett, my youngest, is five and, you know, I can't hardly stand to see it happen. We're going through changes right now with her going to kindergarten. It's our final child, and I'm not the mom sitting home with her. I, I get to go to work every day, but 
you know, my baby's starting kindergarten. So, and Sarah Betts every, almost every day going, Daddy, can I do it myself? And I'm like, no, you can't. Even though you're capable of doing it yourself, no, I'm not ready for you to do it yourself. You can do it. But, you know, I think that we're just like that. We're like a child standing in there looking at our daddy and our daddy's bathing us and we're saying, can I please just do this on my own? We so want to do everything on our own. And God's saying, okay, but you need me. Don't make me, don't make me stop. Stay here in this position and let me help you. But we're so independent. We so want to do everything our own ourself. And we remove ourselves from the plan of God. All that to say, you know, he is not done with us. We don't reach a point that we don't need his hand on us anymore. Never. That is a misconception. This is not as good as it gets. You know, my relationships, my marriage, my children, every relationship, the church, whatever, if I allow God to be a part of it, it all improves. All of it. When I remove him from it, it becomes hell. It becomes hell. He is not done. And you know what? You know, I said this morning, you know, Pastor Stephen and I, I, I I can't speak for him, but I try to be... Pastor Chris used this word a lot, but I do try to be transparent. I try to tell you what's going on in my life and the mistakes that I've made and try to help maybe the things I've walked through help you get through. But how, how do we try to appear normal? You know, let me just say, I, I, have, I have read Scripture from front to back. I don't know it all, but I have read it all. You know, one thing I do know is that I know that we win. I know who wins. And I know that God has a plan. And I know that he has a plan for me. But I need to know that this journey, this is a journey. This is not something that I just arrived tomorrow and I'm done. We have got somewhere that we must go. Now, number two, we know it's a journey. But number two, we set our sights. Come on. Number two, five things to think about. We set our sights on the final destination. We have a place to go. Now, I'm going to ask my wife to come up here and just mention, she had mentioned something to me about Alice in Wonderland. Did you think I wasn't going to do that? Let me let her speak just a second. Okay, last night I was telling him the story because I read this little devotional. um, Joe McGee had recommended it. It's called Wealth Happens One Day at a Time, and it's a little... uh, daily thought about your finances and so as I was reading that this week um, this woman had made the point about Alice falling down the hole and I'm not going to be able to quote this correctly but when she fell down the hole and the mad hatter saw her and he said um, asked her where was she going or where was she supposed to be and she said well I don't know and he said well then I guess here is good enough and uh that was the point. You can make your point from that. Sure. Okay. <laughs> the, the, the point in your finances is you need a place to go. You need to have a vision and you need to be driving for a destination with your money. If you are knee deep in credit card debt, then your goal is not where you are. Because if you're satisfied with where you are, you're not going to come out of that. 
If you're having financial trouble, you need to make a decision of where you want to go and start making the adjustments to go there. If not, just like he says, where are you going? Where were you going? Well, I don't know. Well, then I guess where you are is okay. You know, the Lord's saying, where are you going? Are you coming to me or are you just satisfied being here in this mediocre, getting beat up, beat up at every turn, not having any abundant life at all? I guess then right there is where you're... I guess right here is okay. I don't want to stay there. I want to move. If I'm having trouble in my finances, I want to plead the blood of Jesus over it. I want to align myself with his kingdom, and then I want to start pulling myself out of it. But it means I've got to make adjustments. I can't keep spending like I've been spending. I can't keep thinking like I'm thinking. I'm not satisfied with where I am. And you need to realize in your Christian walk, You have a final destination. And that final destination is Jesus Christ. We are pursuing his kingdom. We are pursuing his kingdom. Another way to look at this is we are pursuing wholeness. Wholeness. That's another way of saying that, that the final destination is wholeness. Hebrews 10.10 says, And what God wants is for us to be made holy. That again means we have to change. That basically says that God wants you to change into what he wants you to be. Leviticus 20 says, So set yourselves apart to be holy, for I am the Lord your holy, who makes you holy. Set yourselves apart. Sanctification. Change. He's the one who makes you holy. Be set apart. That's what holiness is. It's not being set above everyone else. It's being set apart from the world's way. And you know what? People get excited about this word holiness. When you say, when some of, some of you, when I'd say that the final destination is holiness, many of you get uncomfortable or intimidated. You say, what if I mess up? What if you're going to mess up? You're going to mess up. You will. That's part of the process. You know, how many of you know you, sometimes you learn more from your mistakes than from your successes? I hate to lose, but most of the time I learn more from losing than I do from winning. I've noticed that my attitude's pretty rotten when I win, and it's even more rotten when I lose. And it's a real gut check for me when I lose. How am I going to react? You know, I play golf, and I've got to tell myself when I'm standing over a five-foot putt, how am I going to react? I, I'm not telling myself I'm going to miss it because I know how important it is that your thought process is. But I know what I'm capable of when I miss it. Can anybody relate? How do you react when somebody cuts you off on the road? Maybe prepare yourself before you get in your car. Because when I'm standing over a five-foot putt, I've got to think, how am I going to react if I miss this? I'm not trying to put bad thoughts in my head, but I'm more concerned about how I react than if I miss the putt. I have more to lose by how I react. Who cares if I make the putt? But I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to hurt, I'm going to hurt my relationship with God if I blow it right here. So I'm standing over it, and let me tell you, I like to, I like to shoot a, a good score. Anybody that's ever played with me knows I like to compete and I like to play well. But I've had to realize the way I act is more important than my golf game. What's in my heart is more important than my golf game. 
when I go home, how I react to my wife is more important than me watching the Titans play football. Ooh-wee. You know, the PGA Championship's on today. But it's more important how I handle myself with my wife. She'll probably, she'll probably remind me of that this afternoon when I'm... You know how men can selectively listen. You know, we hear kind of what we want to hear, and we don't hear the things that we should hear. So... It's going to cost me, I'm sure. But you know what? It's more important. Who cares who wins the PGA? Who cares? Tiger wins another, another one. Who cares? What do, how does that impact my life? It doesn't. But how I treat my wife directly impacts my life. It not only impacts my life, but it impacts my relationship with my God. Did you know that? If I don't treat her right, it messes me up with God. That's serious stuff. Whether my Titans win or not doesn't really have a lot of impact on my life. If it makes me feel good for a minute, gives me something to talk about for about five minutes, keeps Randy from wearing his Packers jersey nobody likes. But you know, we're out of, we're outer world people, but God wants to deal with your internal. He wants to know, He wants to affect who you really are. If He can affect who you really are, then the decisions you make are going to be the right decisions. God's an internal, God's a great investor, and He's wanting to invest in you. He has invested in you, He's given His Son for you. God says, I'm going to focus on the part of your humanity that will last forever. Our bodies are decaying, but God is an inside God, and He is desiring to change your insides. I want you today just to kind of focus on the things that really matter and start trying to make those steps in the right direction toward God. What's most important? My, my relationship with Him, my heart, my thoughts, my relationship to my wife, my relationship to my kids, my relationship to my boss, my relationship to the workers that work around me. My relationship to you. And then start trying, trying to make an impact. Trying to make a difference in, in your walk. God will rescue you. Whatever you've walked in here with, I bet there's somebody here that tomorrow, you don't know how you're going to get through tomorrow. Well, get today right. And give God your tomorrow. Get today right. Focus on what you can handle. You can't handle tomorrow. You can handle right now. Father, I thank you for this morning. And I just ask you, Lord, to help us to take captive our thoughts. Lord, to, to genuinely line up with your will and your desire. Father, I just love you and I desire for you to move in this church and in my life. And Lord, I don't want to sit here and flap my gums and not change myself. Lord, I ask you to help me with Elizabeth, with my children, with my church, Lord, with my staff. Lord, I ask for a true change in my heart. Church, I ask you that if you're to be willing to do that yourself, that God who began this great work in you, you would allow him to continue to work in you until Jesus comes back. Will you allow the change to happen?